Oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to our fellowship. Welcome if you're here for the first time as well. Um, we love that you come and have fellowship with us. Today, today I believe um, that you, you, come, you come today to learn something about our great God. And I believe today that you're able to take something away. You're going to be able to take something away about our great God. And that's an exciting thing, to think that I come today to learn something about our great God. I don't think you come in vain. I don't believe you come in vain. It's something that God has brought you here, allowed you to be here, so that you can take something away about Him, about Him, so we can learn more and more about our great God. My prayer is is that you are encouraged in your faith, and if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that you learn something about Him this morning. Perhaps that will draw you closer to Him. Perhaps even that will give you enough confidence to say, enough faith to say, I want to believe Him, I want to trust Him. Uh, with my whole life. It's an honor to worship God. It's a real honor to worship Him. And this morning, I want to um, share with you from the Word of God, from a great passage in the Scriptures, I'll get to it in a moment, in the book of Acts. Uh, And hopefully, God willing, uh, this will speak into your lives and build your faith, strengthen your faith, and learn something more about God. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord really his blessing on us this morning as we, um, as we listen to his word and, and what he has to say to us this morning. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ hears our prayer. We believe that he is in the midst of us. The Bible tells us wherever two or three are gathered in his name that he's in the midst. Let's come before him this morning. Our loving Father, we thank you Thank you so much for being right here in the midst of us. Thank you, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you're able to search every single heart here this morning. And by the power of your Spirit, Lord, you're able to speak words that I haven't even thought of, Lord. Words that you know the hearers need to hear. Because you are a personal God, loving God merciful God. And what you want, Father, is to make yourself known to every single person here. So Lord, I pray that for anyone whose heart is hard or unwilling, I pray you soften that this morning. And Father, for your word to go forth, I believe, in faith, not coming back empty, to speak, to build, to strengthen that we as your church be a people of prayer. Lord God, we pray your blessing on us and all that we say now, all that we do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple of weeks ago, like, uh, not yesterday, Saturday, but the Saturday before, Brother Harb and I were talking, we were talking, went for a walk, we were talking, and um, he was saying to me that um, he had it on his heart to share um, prayer. And if you were here last week, last Sunday, he then spoke on prayer. That day he spoke on the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And he spoke on prayer. And, I said to, and as he shared with me on that Saturday night, as he shared with me and he said to me, oh, look, I really feel like we should start this year with a message on prayer. We should really kickstart the year with prayer. And I want to talk about this. I said to him, well, that's amazing, bro. I said, that's amazing because I had it on my heart to talk about prayer today. 
So we thought, okay, this, this is good. This is good. And it gives us confidence because what the Lord wants to say to us, it's wonderful how he confirms this, but in particular what he wants to do, I believe, is to have you think this morning a bit more about just the very prayer or the life of prayer that you have, you have as his children. Now, Brother Hobbs decided to share on the Lord's Prayer, and he shared, I think, I think you would agree, it was very encouraging the kinds of things that he was sharing last week on the Lord's Prayer. And I want to share with you a passage this morning where the church in the book of Acts prayed. I want to share with you their heart for prayer. I want to share with you God's power through prayer. I want to share with you how God demonstrates himself strong through prayer. Now sometimes prayer, when you think about it, prayer is something no one can restrict you from doing. When in your life can you be restricted by people to pray? You can be anywhere. They can shut your mouth and you'll pray. They can chain your hands and you can pray. You can be bedridden and you can pray. You can be driving and you can be praying. You can be um, just going about your daily business and you can pray because prayer is the privilege of the Christian that touches the heart of God to see the kingdom grow. And it's a wonderful thing. And so God, it's no surprise that the Bible is full, full of people praying to their creator. There's no surprise that God demonstrates himself as someone who wants, wants to hear the prayers of his people. It's no surprise. It's no surprise that the Lord Jesus Christ said that his house is to be a house of prayer. It's no surprise. Because everything in the scripture, everything in the Bible, everything that God reveals himself, he reveals himself as a God who wants the prayers of his people. And so when Jesus saw his house as a den of thieves, when Jesus saw his house being uh, things buying and selling and people cheating each other through money exchange, it broke his heart so much that he got angry and turned the tables over because he was disgusted about what something so beautiful like prayer should be had become. This place, this house of prayer. And so... It is so, um, it's a treasure in the heart of God, and so you can understand that it's a great disgust for Him when it is thrown out with the pigs. Prayer, the thing that touches the heart of God so that the kingdom of God can grow. And here's a beautiful passage in the book of Acts that illustrates this. So I want us to turn to um, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, and uh, in a moment I want to share with you some thoughts from this passage. And there's so many, there are many ideas and many thoughts. In fact, it's probably one of, it's probably one of the most unusual passages in the scripture. I, I, always, I always kind of feel a little bit like um, giggling, if, if such, if, you know, for want of a better word, when I read this passage, because it amazes me. It amazes me what happened in the early church, and it amazes me what God's doing in the early church. And this passage is a really um, powerful illustration of a God who does beyond what men ask or think. It's quite amazing. It's quite fascinating. So this thing, this thing called prayer, very simply, you know, very simply, it's like you could say a conversation. 
It's talking to God. In, in its most simplest form, <clears throat> it's a conversation. It's not um, uh, layered with traditions or, or particular sayings or ways of saying things or doing things in a certain way. In its most simplest form, it is a conversation. It is talking to God. Yet, we know as Christians, it's more than just a conversation. When God sees that his people, listen carefully, when God sees that his people are absolutely committed to the success of his kingdom, then God shows himself absolutely committed to your success as well. And when we pray, those two things come together. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a scripture in Matthew 6, and the Bible said very clearly, Jesus says very clearly, this year, the thing, and every year, the thing he wants you to seek first is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When God sees his people absolutely committed to the success of his kingdom, then he is absolutely committed to your success. Why? Because you have his kingdom at heart. You have his kingdom um, This is the thing you want most above everything else. Not your own kingdom, not your own wealth, not your own prosperity, not your own success, but the success of his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, how, why would it not touch the heart of God when you pray in this manner, when you pray in this way? And the church demonstrated this again and again when their whole intention, their whole life, their whole commitment was the, or the success of the kingdom of God. They wanted to see the kingdom of God grow, uh, flourish, move throughout the whole world. And we as the church, beloved, we as the church must not lose that vision. That vision has not Changed the growth, success, prosperity of the kingdom of God. Now, listen, it's going to come under attack, and we'll see that soon. Without a doubt, it's not always going to be easy. Without a doubt, all those sorts of things, but it does not change the individual, the church's commitment to the success of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe. That if you put anything else above this, then I can't give you any guarantee when it comes to your prayer. I, I can't guarantee you anything when it comes to your prayer. But what I, can, what I can guarantee is that when you seek first the kingdom of God and you pray with this intention in mind, when you pray like this, then you can pray with great confidence. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was Ian Bounds, the great author on prayer, that said that he thought lots of our prayers are rooted in, listen carefully, many of our prayers are rooted in selfishness. Now, I'm not saying we don't pray for personal needs. I'm not saying that we don't pray, Lord, help me here, help me there. We need help with this, help this. I'm not saying that. But, beloved, we must learn to pray uh, in a way that is rooted in the kingdom of God. James tells us we don't get what we want. Listen carefully. The book in James tells us we don't get what we want because firstly, we don't ask. 
And he goes, and then you don't get it when you ask because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask in a way because you want things so you can fulfill your own pleasures. Are you surprised if God doesn't give it? So let's learn this year, beloved. Let's learn to pray in a way that is rooted and dug deep in the kingdom of God. In a way, when we pray, we pray to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes, pray for all your needs. I'm not saying not to pray about anything. God's concerned about the smallest things as well. I believe that. But let's pray in a way that is grounded in the kingdom of God. So prayer, though in its simplest form is conversation, in its most richest form, it's in a way that is wanting to see the success of the kingdom of God. I mean, look at it in the scriptures. It's phenomenal in the scriptures. You know, if we could have time, if we could have time, there is just so much we could speak about prayer. You know, honestly, you could spend the whole year looking at prayer in the scriptures. But consider for a moment, let me give you a snapshot of some examples in the scripture. Consider, for example, Abraham. Those who are familiar with the story of Abraham, it would be familiar that Abraham prayed to God in a way that he negotiated. I mean, what is that? I don't even still quite understand that. That he actually prayed in in a way where God was, he was negotiating with God about Sodom. Now for me that shows something more, not only about the faith of Abraham, but it shows something beautiful about the character of God. This relational, personal being that wants to talk and negotiate and speak to us as a friend because this is God who's interested in in the heart of his people and he wants to build the faith of his people. Here we have this relational, conversational God with Abraham. Wow. Consider the man Jabez in the Bible. Those of you that are familiar with Jabez in the Bible, Jabez is a very unusual character because we don't even know much about him. I think there's probably three verses about him. And one of those verses is about his prayer. It's about two sentences long. And the only thing we know about Jabez in the Bible is that he prayed. That's all we know. Wouldn't that be awesome? If the only thing that was written about you in the Bible was your prayer? That you are remembered for a person to pray? That you're remembered about nothing else but that you prayed? That's, pretty, that's an honor. That Jabez is only remembered for his prayer. Oh, do you know much about Jabez? Not really, but I know he prayed. Oh, do you know anything about Jabez? Not really, but he prayed. That would be an honor to have been recorded in the scriptures like that as a man who nothing else you knew about him but the fact that he prayed. And prayer, the Psalms is full of it, isn't it? So you have, you have the psalmists who, who prayed in such a way that they rejoiced and celebrated, but they also prayed in very deep times of sorrow and pain. Because to show us the spectrum of our experiences in prayer. I mean, consider, for example, David, in one of the Psalms, he says this, But you, O God, the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. Listen to what he says now. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Wow, what a prayer. Deliver me, Lord, because my heart is wounded within me. The Bible is full of examples of people who pray in times of celebration and people who pray with great pain. And so prayer is just as natural as breathing. Do we get tired of praying? Do we get tired of breathing? We shouldn't. 
So prayer is as natural as that. So I want you to remember these words before I show you this story with you. I want you to remember these words. Prayer is a very dependent experience. Very dependent. Even when there are times you feel like you're all alone, and even when there are times you feel like you can do it on your own, you've got to remember that's not prayer. Prayer is a very dependent experience, dependent on the living God. Prayer is also a very intentional experience. Even when though sometimes you pray and you feel like your mind's in a swirl and it's going around in circles, you don't know which direction you're going, almost like you're in this kind of maze that you're trying to get out of. Prayer, despite that being your experience sometimes, is a very intentional experience. What you do is you're praying and you're praying with very clear intention because you're seeking the kingdom of God. Prayer is also something that we do in faith. Because without faith, it's very hard to hope anything through prayer. And even though there are sometimes attacks from the enemy who shoots his arrow and he wants you to doubt while you're praying or you feel like you're just full of doubt, even though there are attacks like that, the experience itself should be an experience of faith. And prayer is something that should should be done without fear. And even though sometimes the enemy will come And when you pray, you then begin to experience kind of fear that overcomes you because you think, is this really going to work? Is this really, am I going to really be able to get through this experience? Is it really going to change anything? Is it really just going to, is it going to get any worse? Even though the attacks of fear come, prayer is something that is done in faith and done without fear. You understand that? This is the prayer life of the Christian. And all this, all this is given to us so that we can learn how to pray, what to pray, and the importance of prayer. So it's no, no surprise that, like I said, Jesus said that his house should be a house of prayer. And it's no surprise that Paul says in Thessalonians that we are to pray without ceasing. Beloved, prayer should not be your last resort. Prayer should be your first resort. Do you understand that? You don't think, oh, I've tried everything. You should pray now. No, prayer is your first resort. It's like breathing. You tired of breathing? No. Then you shouldn't be tired of praying. Prayer is like breathing. That's what it is. It's that communication with God that nobody, nobody can strip you from. Ian Bounds said, prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. You get that? Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them. Outlive a generation. Outlive an age. Outlive a world. They'll keep going because you prayed. You understand? They keep going. And please let me do this. I want to share with you just briefly. I know I, know, I will get to this passage. But I, will share, I want to share with you just briefly the story of George Mueller. Now, I know many of you know this story. I know many of you know this story, but I want to share it again this morning. I remember George Mueller, who, a great Christian man who, um, uh, who loved children, helped children through an orphanage. And, and, and so he prayed. He made a commitment to pray. And he made a commitment to pray for five of his friends that weren't Christians. 
And George Mueller, uh, in his own diary, writes this. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. He said, I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months passed before the first of the five was converted. Amazing, huh? 18 months passed, he said. I thank God and prayed for, on for the others. Five years elapsed, he says, and then the second was converted. I thank God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, he says, and six years passed before the third was converted. So what are we up to? 13 years? 36 years later, he wrote that the other two, the sons of his friends, were not converted. It's another 36 years. He wrote, but I hope in God. I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, he says, but they will be. He died. He then died. Then in 1897, this is now a biography about him, 52 years later, after he began praying daily and without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted, but it was after he died. Because when, when the children of God are committed to the success of his kingdom, God is committed to them and what they're praying to touch the heart of God, to see the building or the success of the kingdom of God. Pray as one who seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, I don't know what else I could do as a Christian. You know, think, think about going through life without the ability to pray to God. It would be an extraordinarily lonely experience. To do life without God is completely, the experience would be extraordinarily lonely and without any direction. But thank God that he says, come to me. I better read this passage here. Acts 12. Acts 12. The Bible tells us, and we'll just, we, might, we might not get through it all. We'll just get through a bit of it. The Bible tells us here, verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king stretched out at his hand to harass some of from the church, that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You get the picture of what's going on here, don't you? Herod the king is after Christians. And he's just killed James. Because he's harassing the church. The church, in its high calling, is coming after or coming under opposition. It's getting a lot of opposition from Herod and from other people. Now, we're not, we're not strangers to this opposition as a church. We're not strangers as Christians. Whether the opposition comes from external things, like people and other things and communities and laws or whatever they might be, or whether they come from within, the things that you battle from within, the oppositions are going to come. And so the Christian almost feels like, what else can they do but pray? Sometimes that is the only thing though it should be done all the time, that we might feel or experience. Because remember, it ought to be dependent, it's very intentional, it's without fear, and it's in faith. And so here the opposition's coming. Herod's saying, you know what, I've got the eye on the church, and I want them down. I want them ruined. So he does something, he just kills James. Just kills him. 
wow, what are they going to do? And because, verse 3, he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. You see what's going on here? He's thinking, oh, this worked. This is good. Everyone's really happy that I've actually just killed James. So you know what? I'm after Peter next because I know Peter. He's one of like the, the top guys. If I get him, imagine what people are going to think of me. They're going to be really pleased with me. Yeah? So the opposition is coming. And this man, Herod, is full of pride. He's full of pride. He wants everyone to think so highly of him that they were really happy that James had been killed and he's going to take Peter now. And it tells us in verse 4, So when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Look at that. Peter's put in prison. There's a really big issue. He's just killed James. He's got Peter now in prison. The church can do a couple of things with this issue now. They can panic. Remember, these are, these are, this is a big guy. This is a big influence in the church here. And Herod is quite a powerful man. So the church can panic. The church can have, have meetings. The church can discuss it for as long as they want. But no, what they're doing is here. What they're doing is this. They are together, together with constant prayer for their brother who was suffering in prison. They're in constant prayer. Unceasing prayer for Peter. I believe, beloved, that... Um, if you ask the church, I think they wouldn't say they had. Fa- they wouldn't say prayer is powerful. I don't think that's quite the right statement. I think what we say as Christians is that we have faith in a powerful God, and when we pray, we know God can move. Their welfare, their concern, yes, would have been for their brother, but I believe in a deeper way, their concern was for the kingdom of God. And so here they were together praying in an unceasing way, in, with, without stopping for Peter and for the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. Have you ever had a friend that's come close to death for his faith? Have you had a friend that's been put in prison for his faith? This is a really raw experience for these people. And what they're doing is they're praying because the pain is deep. They're concerned for the kingdom. They're concerned for Peter. But they're praying. And the deeper the concern, the more urgent and fervent the prayer was necessary. And here they were, not panicking necessarily, but praying. Verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping Bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping prison. Can you see what's going on here? What, what are they concerned about? Has, has Peter walked around pl- plotting a terrorist attack? Like what are they concerned about? Has he shown himself mighty that he's, he, he's got 
all this weaponry that he would actually come and, 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 and all of a sudden revolt and attack the government of the day. He's this, a fisherman. Simple fisherman. Probably didn't, wasn't even, probably had very simple body, like no muscle maybe, I don't know. But here he was, this very simple man. They had him in prison and they were so either fearful or full of pride, one or the other, because both are very powerful, fearful or full of pride. They had him, his hands tied up, two soldiers next to him, and then two soldiers at the door. What's he going to do? It just goes to show you the fear that comes upon people with things like this, or the pride that moves people in such a powerful way that they want to make sure, make sure this man does not leave this place. Was it, was it stronger than God, though? Was God going to be moved by man's uh, attempts to try and bind Peter in this way? I don't think so. I don't think so. The Bible tells us, verse 7, Now behold, the angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison and struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. This is completely, um, it, it is amazing, this verse, because the, the angel comes to Peter, everyone's asleep. He strikes him on the face. He says, get up, put on your sandals, put on your garments, and let's go. Did he have the time to do all that? Like, what's he asking him to do? Okay, when do we go? Okay, let's put this on. Let's... Wouldn't you think, just get out. Leave your shoes. <laughs> Leave your garments. I've come to rescue you. No, but listen carefully, because God shows always he's in control. God shows always that all the expectations of others never outdoes the plan of God. When we pray the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God always, always, God's heart is to see the kingdom of God succeed above everything man thinks limits him. You know, this verse reminds me of the psalm that says, He prepares a table before me, as he, so he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. In other words, God is saying, You know what? I got this. Yeah, you got time. Put on your garment. I've got control here. Your people are praying for you. I've got this. And when they pray for the kingdom, I look after God's people. When they pray for the kingdom, I want to see the kingdom of God prosper and grow. I've got this. You know what? Put your sandals on too, because I've got this. And come with me. So the people of God can be reassured, absolutely reassured, that the faith they have is a faith in a powerful, living God who wants to see the kingdom prosper. That's what we should be praying, beloved. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he gets him out, opens doors, opens gates, um, and I'll, just, I'll finish up. The Bible says, very quickly, the Bible says, verse 9, so when they, they went out and followed him and did not know that he was done, what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation 
of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. They're still praying, yeah? Awesome. It's a midnight prayer, many of them. Doesn't that encourage you as a church to be people of prayer? Doesn't that encourage us as a church to know if we get together and pray for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we can have faith to see the hand of God move. May I remind you that we do. There are plenty of times we pray as a church. We pray before church. May I remind you we pray before church. We pray 10 a.m. before church. You're invited to come and pray. Let's pray that the kingdom of God moves. Uh, God works in the kingdom of God. We pray throughout church. We pray throughout the week. But it's your invitation to continue to pray without ceasing. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came and answered to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of the gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter had stood before the gate. She didn't even open the door for Peter. She heard his voice and then left the door closed and went off. What do you think Peter's thinking at that time? You reckon he's thinking, oh, what a sweetie. She must be so excited. Or is he thinking, open the door. Whatever he's thinking, Peter just knows God's doing something. Rhoda goes and gets the people. And this is the part that amazes me. She goes to get the people. Verse 15, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. She tells them Peter's at the door and they say, what? No, you can't be be right. You're seeing, it's his angel. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? What were they praying? Were they amazed that God had answered so quickly? Were they like overwhelmed by the, the, the majesty of God that he could do something like this? That they wouldn't believe her straight away? I don't know what they were thinking or what they were praying, but certainly they were struggling at the start to believe until they saw him and they realized, wow, this is Peter. But I know what God was doing. I believe I know what God was doing. God was teaching his people to pray and to pray without ceasing and to pray with the kingdom of God at heart because he was teaching them to be dependent. He was teaching them to have faith. He was teaching them to believe and he was teaching them that he is going to work through them for the kingdom of God's sake. He was teaching them how to pray dependently, intentionally, in faith, and without fear. Because there was going to be a lot more work they were going to have to be doing. And I was surprised. I wonder if you're surprised like that sometimes. You pray and you think, oh, it happened. Well, we don't think like that. But I'd rather you pray and be surprised and don't pray at all. But pray in faith. Pray in faith. This year, beloved, we want to pray in a way. We want to pray in a way that seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we know that when we pray in this way, we pray with confidence. We know when we pray this way, we pray with confidence. We know that, that, the, that our, God is calling us, God is calling us to keep ourselves pure and to be people always of prayer. And we know God's calling us to that. Yep. And as we continue to explore, if the Lord wills, we continue to explore this idea of prayer, that life of purity is just as significant as that life of prayer. The two go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. 
But for today's purpose, let's take away this. Let's be people who pray and pray very intentionally for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when we pray, we pray with this dependent heart. We pray in faith and we pray without fear. God demonstrated himself strong that he could bust through and take out Peter with unharmed, though he was smothered by protection, so that the kingdom of God can continue to grow. That gives us great confidence, isn't it? And for us, that's how we pray. And that's what we pray. Join me as we pray together. Our loving Father, we thank you so much that um, we are not alone. We are not on our own. And this thing that we, we are part of, we are part of only because you have brought us into your kingdom and only because you want us to be your instruments to build this kingdom. So we pray, Father, that, we, that you would help us develop hearts that seek your kingdom and seek your righteousness and that we pray with this intention and that, Father, we trust and believe that by your power of your spirit that you are continuing to work through us and to see many people uh, broken out of their chains and set free. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. And we thank you for being a God who wants to hear our prayers, who wants to answer our prayers, that our joy may be full. Thank you, God. And we just pray, bless this church, bless your people. And in your son's name we pray. Amen.